Welcome to another episode of Leg Upward Inclusion Spotlight, Making the Invisible Visible, with me, Dr. Aparajita Jirigunta. I am so excited about recording this episode today with our guest speaker. She is somebody that I met in the coaching space as a part of reciprocal peer coaching rounds through the International Coach Federation. I say all of that to say that, you know, my guest speaker today is highly, highly skilled and extremely amazing at everything that she does as a coach. So it is with great pleasure and great honor that today I would like to introduce Coach Latarsha Horn. Coach Horn is a certified professional coach with over 10 years of experience in learning and development as an instructional designer, training facilitator, learning strategist, and performance improvement coach. She helps clients unlock their potential and get more of the results they want through self-empowerment, inspired action, and strategic planning. Because when you know what to do and are clear about how to do it, progress happens quickly. Get clear, get focused, get results. And that is Coach Latarsha Horn or Coach Tarsh, as I like to call her. Hi, Coach. Hey, AJ. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here on my tiny little show and helping me learn and grow through the process. That's something that, you know, I always appreciated about you is your willingness to help people develop. And so that's actually where I want to start our conversation today is, you know, you are somebody that helps other people be amazingly effective at developing themselves and developing their own ideas of success. Where did your development into this space and into this role start? Okay, so I actually started as a corporate trainer at a major retailer. And at the time, in order to be a trainer for the company, you had to work in all of the departments because in their thinking, you need to know about the business. And the only way to know about the business and to train other people about the business, you need to have gone through all of the departments. And so I started as a training facilitator. And as you facilitate, it's natural to look at some of the activities, look at some of the information and think, man, I wish they had done that a little bit differently. I wish they had done this so that it fits more with how things actually work in the field because oftentimes corporate training is written from a global perspective, but a lot of your issues are very local to your distribution center because I was working in a logistics facility. And so as I would train, like some information you essentially had to train as is, particularly things related um, to safety, loss prevention and things like that, those types of topics a lot of time, a lot of times had to be trained verbatim. But where there was room to sort of flex, then I would sort of, I would flex and I would make the training relevant to our associates. And so that's where my initial interest came in terms of the learning and development space. I was doing training facilitation and thought some of the training should be written a little bit differently for our associates in particular so that it it was a better fit. It was a lot more relevant for them and they could connect to it a lot better. Oh, so that's where your entire business process and strategic thinking 
and strategic planning, that's where the connection is. What do you think? That's definitely the connection and where it started. And it sort of expanded from there because in order for me to actually do the learning and development piece as an instructional designer, it would have required me to move to the corporate office. And I wasn't interested in living in that particular state. And so I left that company and then went to a major pest control company where I was able to do the instructional design work. And so throughout, I would say my corporate career, I've sort of just added on to my skill set. And I was lucky that the skills just sort of naturally fit. So as a trainer facilitator, okay, I could look at the content and go, okay, it should be written a little bit differently. And then that brings in the instructional design hat. And then as you sort of coach people along the way within the training, then that sort of brought in the coaching hat. So I was just lucky enough that I could blend all of those different career choices and kind of make it into one, um, I guess you could say one global strategy. Yeah, definitely. And you know, I know what you mean when you talk about the differences between training and facilitating and then, you know, the coaching hat. But I feel like, you know, a lot of people who may not know about this space as much as we do may not understand the nuances that are different between coaching, training, facilitating, strategic planning, and basically all of these hats that you wear. So how would you describe what you do to me? So I would say I am a learning strategist and a performance improvement coach. And in terms of learning strategy, essentially what happens is that corporations will contact you and they'll say, I need you to write training for X reason. And then I would go in and I would do what's called a needs analysis. And essentially what that is, it's a meeting where you ask the client a series of questions in order to assess their training needs. And by that, is it like a skill need that's happening? Is it a knowledge, like a lack of knowledge need? Is it some type of environmental factor where do they have the tools and materials that they need? So you go in, you do the analysis, and then you do what's called a learning plan, which is part of the design. And the learning plan basically outlines the training. So think of it as your training outline. After you do your outline, Then you would write the training and that's called development. And so that's where you create all of the activities that could be where you are doing, creating an e-learning course, that's development. Creating the storyboard would be the design. So you develop the training or write the training and then someone will come and then they'll teach it. That's the training facilitation piece where you have someone that teaches it. And then you may even have a step where you come back and do some type of evaluation that says, okay, how well did this, did this training go? Like a very, what you would call a level one evaluation where you're just asking in general, what were the learner's impressions of the training? And you can do an even more advanced evaluation where you start to look at what types of changes were made back on the job that really impacts how that employee performs. And so it's its own little own little process. It's own yes, yeah, like its own little bridge of sorts where you build the learning, 
you train the people on the learning and then you come back and you look and you say, I did this training. Am I getting the results that I anticipated from this training? And so you have to be very mindful as you are developing training to make sure that you're developing the training based on learner needs, based on business needs as well, in order for people to feel like they are getting a return on the money that they're spending as well as the time. I like how earlier you said a global kind of umbrella strategy, because now I can more clearly see what all the different hats are that you wear, because each step of the process is connected, but also very distinct from the steps before and after it. Correct. Which brings me to my next question. And, you know, I, I, this may be sort of a leading question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Actually, it is a fully leading question. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> what insights did you gain from all of this learning strategy experience and facilitation experience that you were able to translate into your coaching practice? Okay, good question. So when I look at coaching, let's just start with the difference between, let's just say a coach and a consultant. So the role of a consultant is to give a client answers. So when someone hires me as a learning consultant, my role is to go in and say, this is what needs to be done. When someone hires me as their coach, my role is to help them figure out what they need to do in order to reach whatever their end result is. So although there are similarities between learning and coaching to a very small degree, if you think about it in terms of you are coming up, helping people to come up with a strategy and In situations where you have a coaching program, you may have a lot of those layers and strategies built in yourself, which are some of the same skills that you would use from learning. So learning it just like a learning plan is nothing more than a strategic plan. And a strategic plan basically says, okay, here's what I need to do. Here are the steps that I need to take in order to do it. And coaching is similar If you have like a program, the big difference is in coaching, the client is the person that's driving the process. So you offer your feedback. You may have a program that you're sort of taking them through. But at the end of the day, that program that you're developing is really based on their needs. So if someone comes to me and they say, I want to work on these three topics, We'll focus on those three topics, but I'll also have, there may be videos that that person has to watch in relationship to that topic or that I would offer that person in relationship to that topic. And then we will come back to their topic. And then there may be days where people will give you a set of topics, but when they come to the session, their agenda or their goal has changed because their needs have changed for this particular session. And so then you sort of flow with, what that person wants to talk about today. Now, you always want to say, you know, I just want to verify like our original goal was to work on X. And just to confirm today, you'd prefer to work on Y instead. And then once the client says that, then you go in the direction with the client. So I look at coaching as it's an inflow process and it's very client driven. And it's also based on client needs. Whereas when you think of things like training and consulting, it's a, there are a lot more 
linear. You have a process, you follow that process, you know, A to B or one, two, three. But with coaching, because it's such a client-driven process, you have to be able to flex and you have to adapt to that client's needs on the fly in a, in a lot of cases. Because when people are coached, a lot of times they are processing out loud. And so your role is to help them filter through the information and to help them really process it to whatever end result that they're trying to reach. Oh, that's a beautiful answer. That also, you know, is, I feel like that is also a really great segue into our next segment, which truly is the heart and body of my whole podcast and also my heart and soul, as you know it, diversity and inclusion, because you started talking about client driven and individual driven. And for me, you know, inclusion really comes down to the individual level, Mm -hmm. you know, more so than a group level. So I do want to take a very short break, but when we come back, we are going to be talking about diversity and inclusion in Coach Tarsh's experience as a trainer, facilitator, strategist, and a performance coach. So we will be right back after this short break. And we're back on Leg Upward Inclusion Spotlight, making the invisible visible with me, Dr. Aparajita Jirigunta. My guest speaker today is Coach Tarsh, who is a phenomenal coach. And I'm saying that from personal experience, actually, because Coach Tarsh did coach me for six glorious sessions. And I was very, very, very sad when those sessions ended. (laughs) And the reason, actually, Coach Tarsh, that I really wanted to record you, shine the spotlight on you, was, you know, I know in the first segment, you talked about how everything is client driven, and you really have to find out from the client if that's the direction they want to go in. And as you were saying that, I was like, my mind was flashing back to that that one session where somebody gave me some, you know, really uh, some feedback that I felt was very negative and it derailed what our original agenda was. And it turned into a, you know, a session about diversity and inclusion and not just diversity and inclusion, but about inclusion, receiving feedback growing without internalizing and imposter syndrome and mom guilt and like so many other things like that actually was one of the most transformational coaching sessions I've had to date. Wow. Awesome. In that context, how has your idea of inclusion evolve through your experiences? Oh, good question. So to me, inclusion is all about accepting and valuing each other as we are without a need to change. And so that without a need to change is that important part for me personally, because I can think of times in my life, like the first thing that I kind of went back to was being in my 20s and dating. And when you're in your 20s and dating and maybe even early 30s, we oftentimes want to, we meet someone, we like that someone. And then the things about that someone that we like so much, we decide we don't like anymore. And so then we want to change those things that we don't like. Not necessarily maybe cueing into the fact that like we're all in this process of growth, like we're continually changing, 
We're continually growing. And just like you want someone to be able to accept you as you are. And a lot of times you'll hear people say flaws and all. I personally don't think we're flawed. I just think we grow into ourselves a little bit more. And I've been one to use that terminology as well. But words are very, very important to me right now at this stage in my life because I feel like the words that we say become the laws of our life. And those laws are either going to propel us or they are going to bring us down in some kind of way. So to me, inclusion isn't just about being included in some type of group or organization. It's about celebrating what we have in common, respecting our differences, and being open to learning from both of them. And so in my mind, an inclusive world is one where we sort of bring all of our unique parts together and we create this collective whole because we really are one. Like we have these distinctions that we've created and a lot of times these distinctions, they separate us. But in truth, we're really one people. We're individuals, we're working together, we're like one body, one mind, one spirit, one people. And if we saw ourselves as a part of the universal whole, we would like readily know that if there is a universal whole, a universal mind, or, you know, however you want to explain that. And if I am a part of that, and if every single person that I am connected to is also a part of that, there really are very few differences in truth. We're just growing more and more into who we actually are. And it's a process. And if we just looked at it as a process that we continually learn from, we're more forgiving, perhaps, and a lot more loving overall. I love that. You and I, this is one of the things that we talked about in our session. And you always got my perspective on this because, you know, you were the coach and it was your role to ask the question. So now it's my role as the podcast host to ask the questions. What do you think are the mismatches and gaps in our current diversity and inclusion efforts in the U.S. right now? Great question. A part of it, I feel, is that there are no collective efforts. If we had an approach, then we could use it in a more unified way. But a lot of times I feel like the conversation of diversity and inclusion is an uncomfortable one for a myriad of reasons, but it's an uncomfortable conversation. And because it's an uncomfortable conversation, we don't have them. A lot of times, if you just think about just life in general and conversations in general, things that we feel uneasy about, things that are going to bring up things in us are not things that people readily talk about because I don't want to be uncomfortable because when you are uncomfortable, it puts you on like this trajectory to change. It's almost like sometimes you'll read something, you can't unread it. You'll watch something, you can't unwatch it. And so when you know something, you can't unknow it. And as long as I stay in a space of not knowing And if I stay in a space where I am only thinking about myself, about my group, about my tribe, for lack of a better term, then I don't necessarily ever have to be concerned with other people. So first off, I feel like we need an approach. And then once we have that approach, 
we need to be engaged in the process. And when I say engaged, I mean from every level. And then also we need to be unified in what that approach is going to be. Because if we're all kind of walking to the beat of the same drum, we can get somewhere. But if I'm going left, you're going right, someone else is going forward and this other person is going backwards and then you got someone else that's just totally in a circle, there's no uniformity there and there's no true approach unless your reason for doing that is that I have objective A, you have B, they have C, they have D, and then we come back and we converge as a group. So a lot of times I feel like there is no true approach or if there is one, when it comes to actually executing or when situations come up, when conversations need to be had or changes need to be made, like how willing are we really to make those changes? Like you can say a lot of things on the surface, we all do, but at the end of the day, what is it that we are willing to commit to doing? And in some cases, commit to changing for the greater good. That was really powerful. And I I completely agree. Have you ever thought about being a motivational speaker? (laughs) I have. I have. I'd love to. It's, it's, It's one of my, I like to do visioning in the morning as I, I meditate and I see myself on a stage in dark jeans, a white shirt, and pumps because I want to be very casual, comfortable, but cute. And that is that is those are my speaking clothes. <laughs> I completely agree that there is no collective unified effort. And I also feel like whatever efforts have happened have been just so much of a band-aid instead of a root cause analysis or an actual fix that, you know, that to me, like, you know, when I talk about diversity and inclusion in all of my work and I keep saying over and over again that diversity and inclusion is still an afterthought. It's still a box to check off and that it is, you know, that it should not be an organizational goal. It should actually be a part of the organizational culture. What do you feel, you know, given your corporate experience and all of your background and everything, what do you feel like is stopping inclusion from becoming a mindset, a culture, you know, a lifestyle for us to live by instead of a box to check off. So I'll share a story of when I had an interest in diversity and inclusion. So when I was working for that retailer that we talked about a little bit earlier, they were starting a DNI department. And so it was one one of the requirements was to I think you had to move to the corporate office or be willing to travel or something like that. I can't remember, but I, I know it required a little more time being at the corporate office. So because it was a new department, they said they were very excited for new ideas. So I had the bright idea of developing a proposal to say, hey, here's some things that I noticed at my location, which means if it's happening here, there's a great likelihood that it's happening in other areas in the company. Here's what I noticed. Here's what I think should be done to mitigate. So one of the suggestions that I made was to tie um, diversity and inclusion to salaries and bonuses 
particularly for executives. And my reason for thinking that and proposing that was to say, a lot of times you have to meet people where it matters. And oftentimes when you talk about money, bonuses, and things like that, those things matter. So if you make that effort a part of the culture, like you said, it should be a part of a company's culture. It shouldn't be an afterthought or something that we do. It really should just be who we are. And if it's who we are, why should it not be tied to a metric much like we would tie quality or productivity and all of these other metric areas that we attribute to our success. So needless to say, I didn't get that job. I think what bothered me most was that I didn't get any feedback on the proposal period. It's one thing to say, hey, you know, we appreciate the proposal. We'll take your ideas into consideration or this isn't the direction that we want to go because at least there's some feedback. But the fact that I got no feedback was the part that was a bit troubling because in my mind at the time that said, you don't want to make real change in a way that it can be effective. And that's not to say that that was the company's thought, obviously, but my thinking was, if you tie it to what's important, it will be important. And so to that end, because it's not tied to larger company goals, because it's not a part of the culture, much like you would make anything else a part of the culture, it becomes a byproduct. Anything that you don't play, place emphasis on or make important oftentimes will not be important. So companies have to figure out how do we make this matter? And that will vary from company to company, but it should be a part of the conversation. How do we do this in a way that matters, in a way that not only impacts and makes change, but that, that, that those changes become sustainable? long term. You, you just, you, you took me to a whole different place with that response. <laughs> I had forgotten about that, that situation. And then when you brought that question up, it just came, it came back and it was very clear. Like I can remember spending a lot of time researching and coming up with that proposal. And that was just one of the recommendations, but it was definitely one of the bigger ones, you know, making it a metric mm -hmm. because it was a very metric driven company. Yeah. So in my mind, this, this fits very much in line with our culture because we measure everything. Yeah. And why should we not measure this? And yeah, just not getting any type of response. To me, it was a very telling response. What do you think that we need to do better or differently to make the invisible visible, to include more people, to celebrate our oneness, to celebrate our wholeness, and to consider diverse perspectives? What, what do we need to do? I think to make the invisible visible, the first step is just being willing to open your eyes and see. You can't change what you don't acknowledge and you can't acknowledge what you refuse to see. So when we open ourselves to change, then it makes it easier for us to really look at situations and say what's working, 
what's not working and 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 really find ways to improve not just ask the question of how can i improve but really actively seek solutions and ways that we can improve and and that means inviting others into the conversation a lot of it is just being willing to experience things from a different perspective. And then just kind of seeing where the situation progresses from there. Oftentimes, and and this kind of goes for all of us because I think we're all selfish and selfish doesn't have to be a negative thing. I think it's natural to look out for self. That's just sort of like what we do as, as humans. But if we make our lot in life to understand more instead of making it to be understood, that goes a long way. And and that's something I have to catch myself with because I think situations happen sometimes. And even as a coach, you can get in your feelings and make it all about you. And then you have to kind of take a step back and, and look at it more objectively. I will definitely say that is one of the greatest skills that I learned in my, my coach training to kind of, you know, step outside of myself and go, really? Like, are you really that important? Is this really all about you? Did they really do that just to, you know, in spite of you? So a part of that is being willing to open our eyes and see, acknowledging and validating that it's there, and then just communicating about it in a very honest way. So if a company has like inclusion efforts, you can say, okay, here's where we are. Where do we want to go? And share your, share your vision with your employees. And if you want to really bridge the gap, get their feedback. There's nothing more inclusive than literally asking your employees to join in and give their feedback on what they want to see in terms of a diversity and inclusion program. Like it's it's good to come up with something for people to react to, but bring them in, get their buy-in, get their ideas because oftentimes they know a whole lot better what works for them than you ever could. So bring them into the conversation and don't just bring them in like, legitimately use their ideas. And if you can't use them, just say, okay, here are the things that we feel like we can reasonably do based on the feedback that you've given, based on budget, you know, whatever the situation is, here's what we can do. And here's some of the things that maybe we can't do, but or maybe we can do it in phases or, you know, what, whatever the case may be, but be open, be honest, communicate, and then allow people to give their feedback and listen and listen. That's beautiful. From a trainer's perspective, for those who don't have experience inviting other perspectives in, what tips can you give to our listeners to do just that? How can they go about initiating this conversation? You could certainly do some type of focus group where you solicit feedback from employees within different departments in the company, share your vision, and then allow them to give you some feedback. And you've kind of got like representative voices because you have people coming from different departments. And hopefully as you are sending people from these different departments, that it is a diverse group of people in terms of uh, gender, sexual orientation, race, so on and so forth. You know, you want to make sure that your focus group is very representative of diversity. So that's one thing. Also, we are like very much in in the age of social media. And a lot of times companies will have their own social sites. That's another way where you can solicit feedback 
from people. I I just feel like if you bring people into the conversation, if you sincerely ask for their feedback and you thoughtfully receive it and implement even one thing that they suggest, they'll be receptive and more ideas will be generated. Everything will vary a little bit, you know, based on your company culture and dynamics, but just start the conversation. You don't have to have all the answers. So the one thing that one piece of advice that I would say would be, you don't have to have all of the answers, just have one question. And one question leads to another question and another question and more answers and more answers until you come up with your first solution. Because those solutions will change and they'll evolve as they should. But at least if you start with one conversation, one question, one solution, that's your building block. So what I heard is you don't have to go from A to Z. Just take the first step. Exactly. That's profound. It's a great time to take a very short break. And when I come back, I want to talk about how more of my friends can get in touch with you and what they can reach out to you for help with. Okay, sounds good. We'll be right back. And we're back on Leg Upward Inclusion Spotlight, Making the Invisible Visible. With me, Dr. Aparajita Jirigunta. Our guest speaker today is Coach Tarsh, who I've been having an amazing conversation with. And man, you just blow my mind so much. So thank you for the conversation so far, Coach Tarsh. Thank you for having me. It's been my pleasure. I have many people who would benefit from the exact work you do. How would they get in touch with you? And part two, who are the types of people who would benefit the most from working with you? So in terms of contact, I am on most of the socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. I would recommend LinkedIn and they can also email me and my website, coachtarsh.com. There's a contact form and they can reach me there. In terms of people that I enjoy working with, I really like working with self-starters. So one of the reasons I really enjoyed coaching you is that you always had, you knew what you wanted to do. You might've needed some help unpacking the steps, but you fundamentally knew what needed to happen. So I enjoy working with people that really just sort of needs me as as a guide. I see myself as the the guide on the side and my clients are the stars and the heroes. And so if you're having, like if you feel stuck, if you're having issues with performance at work, I enjoy leadership development type of coaching. So working with leaders, I really enjoy that. So really just people who like the whole point of getting a coach in my mind, and I also have a coach that that I work with from time to time. And the whole purpose of getting a coach, you know, for me is having someone to sort of talk through things with. Sometimes people need coaches because they need a, a level of accountability. Like if I know I have to see you in a week, that's going to put a little bit of a fire under me to get some things done. So I like people that are motivated people that are inspired, because I do think motivation and inspiration are two different things. Motivation is that little push that we sometimes need. Inspiration is the pull 
which is something that's coming from inside of you. Oh, I love that. But my big thing now is I really want to focus on leadership, leadership development okay. coaching. So I, I'm so sorry. I did not mean to interrupt you, but that push, pull, motivation, inspiration, I absolutely yeah. love that. I've never heard it put that way. Because they're different feelings. Like you think about, you know, when you are trying to motivate somebody to do something, it's almost like the the carrot and the stick in a way. Because as long as I'm there to push you and beat the drum, then you're going to do it. But inspiration, it feels it feels natural. It feels you just feel pulled to do something. You have so much energy. You have physical energy, mental energy, emotional energy. There's just all of this good energy that's happening. And it's almost like if you're writing a song, the song writes itself. If you are writing a proposal, the proposal writes itself. Whatever you're doing, there's just such a flow that's happening because of the enjoyment that's coming from it. And because it feels like this very innate part of you or the natural next step, you're on like this, this flow, this high in a good way, a high in a good way, like this wave that you're on. And my thing is if someone motivates you, they have to motivate you all the time. But if you feel inspired, that comes from within. So motivation is, is, is without because someone is outside of you is pushing you. But inspiration is something that's happening within you that's pulling you to do something different, to be someone greater. And and they're two very different feelings. They absolutely are. And it's interesting that you bring up motivation and inspiration because the role that you played in my life was a little bit of both Mm -hmm. plus a third. It was almost like, you know, a second candle that got brought in to illuminate and clarify better. Well said. You know, because I had a candle when I came to you, but I felt like the, the luminescence of the candle wasn't showing me everything I needed to see. And you said, here's another candle now what do you see I like that I like that and you just did that thank you and but you just did that so effortlessly without me even realizing that's what you were doing until I thought back about it once our round was done and you know I was sort of processing things I was like man I didn't even realize that's what she was doing yay And I learned a lot from you too. It it wasn't one way. Oh, thank you. I feel like every time I work with a client, I learn as much as I give, or at least that's always the goal. Like, what can I learn? And so for me, I think like, I liked a lot of the processes that you, you came up with. And it kind of made me think about my process differently. And I changed some things Mm. with my own process. Cause I'm always, you know, thinking, okay, how can I do this? differently? How can I do this better? How can I make this a little more seamless for the client? And so a lot of the processes that that you used were very helpful. And just the fact that you're very transparent about who you were on in every given Mm -hmm. session, because I believe, you know, we have to bring all of us when we come. And if you don't bring all of you, then, you know, how do we make it better? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Which is why making the invisible visible is like my life's tagline, not just my podcast. Indeed. So thank you so much coach harsh for this whole conversation it's it's been it's been such a ride like it, this whole conversation has taken me back to our sessions and i've been like reflecting reminiscing being nostalgic about those successions <laughs> 
you have such a gift, truly. Thank you. You really helped me get down to, if I had to pick one thing that you profoundly just changed my life on is how to receive feedback without internalizing it. That's a big one. That's a huge one. Mm-hmm. That That's a lifetime yeah. one. <laughs> It, <laughs> for me too. <laughs> it was that one slash 1.5 ish. Cause I know like there was a little bit of a spillover, but it, it literally was that hour to an hour and a half. I will never ever forget that session. And I will never ever forget everything that you helped me with in that session. So for any of my listeners, if that is what you're struggling with, clarity around receiving feedback without internalizing it and letting it paralyze you, letting it stop you, letting it move you into a state of no momentum. Coach Tarsh is the person you need to go to. So thank you so much for everything that you do. I do have one question, which I did not warn you about. (laughs) Intentionally, sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm That's okay. So every single one of my guest speakers gets this question at the end of the session. Okay, I'm ready. If anybody ever listening to this episode only got one final takeaway message from you, and that's all they could hear, what would your message be? My message would be understand the power of your choices. Everything that you do, wherever you are at this stage in your life is based on choices. And you can always change those choices, which means you can change yourself, change your situation, change your life. Thank you. I guess I need, I I really needed to hear that today. Maybe so did I. As always, Coach Tarsh, you are a breath of fresh air and a ray of sunshine in my life. Oh, thank you, AJ. I feel the same. Oh, thank you. And thank you so much for ignoring time and doing this episode with me. I promise for future episodes, I will be way more structured and regulated. It's a process. It's okay. (laughs) (laughs) It really is. It really is. Today has been three days rolled into one. So I'm just all like, it's, it's been a day. But thank you so much for being a part of this show, for being on this episode, and for helping our listeners develop themselves and helping me develop myself. I do hope to see you back on the show soon in the future. Thank you for your parting words. And also thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in on this episode. And we will be back soon with another episode of Leg Upward Inclusion Spotlight, Making the Invisible Visible. 